Section 4 of The Quest of the Golden Girl by Richard Le Gallienne. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Read by William Jones, Benita Springs, Florida. Comprised of Book 1, Chapters 14 through 17. Chapter 14 The Mysterious Petticoat. The sad thoughts with which this incident naturally left me were at length and suddenly dispersed as sad thoughts not infrequently are by a petticoat. When I say petticoat, I use the word in its literal sense, not colloquially as a metaphor for its usual wearer, meaning thereby a dainty feminine undergarment seen only by men on rainy days, and on one might add washing days. It was indeed to the fortunate accident of its being washing day at the pretty cottage near which in the course of my morning wanderings i had set me down to rest that i owed the sight of the petticoat in question but first allow me to describe a little more fully my surroundings at the moment not indeed that i can hope to put into words the charm of those embowered cottages like nests in the armpits of great trees tucked snugly in the hollows of those narrow winding almost subterranean lanes which burrow their way beneath the warm-hearted surrey woodlands nothing can be straighter and smoother than a surrey road when it is on the king's business then it is a high road and behaves accordingly but a surrey by-road is the most whimsical companion in the world it is like a sheep-dog always running backwards and forwards, poking into the most out-of-the-way corners, now climbing at a run some steep hummock of the down, and now leisurely going miles about to escape an anthill. And all the time, here, by the way, ends the sheepdog, it is stopping to gossip with relics vagabond as itself, or loitering to bedeck itself with flowers. It seems as innocent of a destination as a boy on an errand but after taking at least six times as long as any other road in the kingdom for its amount of work you usually find it dip down of a sudden into some lovely natural cul-de-sac a meadow bottom surrounded by trees with a stream spreading itself in fantastic silver shallows through its midst and a cottage half hidden at the end had the lane been going to some great house it would have made more haste we may be sure the lane i had been following had finally dropped me down at something of a run upon just such a scene the cottage built substantially of grey stone stood upon the side of the slope and a broad strip of garden half cultivated and half wild began near the house with cabbages and ended in a jungle of giant bulrushes as it touched the stream golden patches of ragwort blazed here and there among a tangled mass of no doubt worthier herbage such even in nature is the power of gold and there were the usual birds however my business is with the week's washing which in various shades of white with occasional patches of scarlet fluttered fantastically across a space of a garden thereby giving unmistakable witness to human inhabitants male and female as i lounged upon the green bank i lazily watched 
these parodies of humanity as they were tossed hither and thither with humorous indignity by the breeze remarking to myself on the quaint shamelessness with which we thus expose to public view garments which at other times we are at such bashful pains to conceal and thus philosophizing like a much greater philosopher upon clothes i found myself involuntarily deducing the cottage family from the family washing i soon decided that there must be at least one woman say the age of fifty one young woman one little child sex doubtful and one man probably young further than this it was impossible to conjecture thus i made the rough guess that a young man and his wife a child and a mother-in-law were among the inhabitants of this idyllic cottage but the clothes-line presented charming evidence of still another occupant and there though so far easy to read came in something of a puzzle who in this humble out-of-the-way cottage could afford to wear that exquisite cambric petticoat edged with a fine and very expensive lace and surely it was on no country legs that those delicately clocked and open-worked silk stockings walked invisible through the world nor was the lace any ordinary expensive english lace such as any good shop can supply indeed i recognized it as being a parisian design as yet little known in england while on the tops of the stockings i laughingly suspected a border designed by a certain eccentric artist who devotes his strange gifts to decorating with fascinating miniatures underworld of woman i have seen corsets thus made beautiful by him valued at five hundred pounds and he never paints a pair of garters for less than a hundred his name is not yet a famous one as for obvious reasons his works are not exhibited at public galleries though they are occasionally to be seen at private views i am far from despising an honest red flannel country petticoat there is no warmer kinder looking garment in the world it suggests country laps and country breasts and sturdy country babes greedy for the warm white milk and it seems dyed in country blushes yet for all that one could not be insensible to the exotic race and distinction of that frivolous town petticoat daintily disporting itself there among its country cousins like a queen among milkmaids what numberless suggestions of romance it awoke what strange perfumes seemed to waft across from it perfumes laden with associations of a world so different from the green world where it now was a charming world of gay intrigue and wanton pleasure no wonder the wind chose it so often for its partner as it danced through the garden scorning to notice the heavy homespun things about it it was not every day that washing-day wind met so fine a lady and it was charming to see how gently he played about her stockings ah wind i said evidently you are a gallant born but tell us the name of the lady it is somewhere on that pretty petticoat i'll be bound is she some little danseuse with the whim to be romantically rustic for a week 
or is she somebody else's pretty wife run away with somebody else's man or is she some naughty little grisette with an extravagant lover or is she just the usual lady landscape artist with a more than usual taste in lingerie at all events it was fairly obvious that for one reason or another the wear of the petticoat and stockings which have now occupied us for perhaps a sufficient number of pages was a visitor at the cottage the next thing was to get a look at her so remembering how fond i was of milk from the cow i pushed open the gate and advanced to the cottage door End of chapter 14 The Quest of the Golden Girl Chapter 15 Still Occupied with the Petticoat The door was opened by a comely young woman with ruddy cheeks and a bright, kind eye that promised conversation. But, hm, I said to myself, as she went to fetch my milk, evidently not yours, my dear. A nice drying day for your washing, I said as I slowly sipped my milk, with a half-inclination of my head toward the clothesline. "'Very fine indeed, sir,' she returned, with something of a blush, and a shy, deprecating look that seemed to beg me not to notice the peculiarly quaint antics which the wind, evidently a humorist, chose at that moment to execute with the female garments upon the line. However, I was for once cased in triple brass and inexorable.' and who i ventured smiling may be the owner of those fine things not those i continued pointing to an odd garment which the wind was wantonly puffing out in the quaintest way but that pretty petticoat and those silk stockings the poor girl had gone scarlet scarlet as the petticoat which i was sure was hers with probably a fellow at the moment keeping warm her buxom figure you are very bold sir she stammered through her blushes but i could see that she was not ill-pleased that the finery should attract attention but won't you tell me i urged i have a reason for asking and here i had better warn the reader that as the result of a whim that presently seized me i must be content to appear mad in the eyes for the next few pages till i get an opportunity of explanation well what if they should be mine at length i persuaded her into saying i made the obvious gallant reply but all the same i added you know they are not yours they belong to some lady visitor who i'll be bound isn't half so pretty now don't they well they just don't then they're mine as i tell you hm i continued a little nonplussed but do you really mean there is no lady staying with you certainly she replied evidently enjoying my bewilderment well then some lady must have stayed here once i retorted with a sudden inspiration and left them behind you might be a detective after stolen goods she interrupted i tell you the things are mine and what i should like to know does a gentleman want bothering himself about a lady's petticoat no wonder you blush for in fact it was easy to foresee the situation was becoming a little ridiculous for me now look here i said with an affectation of gravity if you'll tell me how you came by those things i'll make it worth your while they were given to you by a lady who stayed here not long ago now weren't they well then they were the lady stayed here with her gentleman 
Yes, she did. Hm, I thought so, I said. Yes, that lady, it pains me to say, was my wife. This unblushing statement was not, I could see, without its effect upon the present owner of the petticoat. But she said they were brother and sister, she replied. Of course she did. I returned with a fine assumption of scorn. Of course she did. They always do. Dear young woman, I continued when I was able to control my emotion, you are happily remote from the sin and wickedness of the town, and I am sorry to speak of such things in so peaceful a spot, but as a strange chance has led me here, I must speak, must tell you that all wives are not so virtuous, faithful as you, I am sure, are. There are wives who forsake their husbands and go off with a handsomer man, as the poet says, and mine, mine, alas, was one of them. It is now some months ago that my wife left me in this way, and since then I have spent every day in searching for her. But never till this moment have I come upon the least trace of her. Strange, is it not, that here, in this peaceful, out-of-the-way garden, I should come upon her very petticoat, her very stockings? By this my grief had become such that the kind girl put her hand on my arm. "'Don't take on so,' she said kindly, and then remembering her treasured property, and, and probably fearing a counterclaim on my part to its possession. "'But how can you be sure she was here? There are lots of petticoats like that.' "'What was she like?' I asked through my agitation. "'Middle height, slim and fair, with red-goldy hair and big blue eyes. About thirty, I would say.' the very same i groaned there is no mistake and now i continued i want you to sell me that petticoat and those stockings and i took a couple of sovereigns from my purse i want to have them to confront her with when i do find her perhaps it will touch her heart to think of the strange way in which i came by them and you can buy just as pretty ones again with the money i added as i noticed the disappointment on her face at the prospect of thus losing her finery well, it is a funny business, to be sure, she said, as still half reluctantly. She unpegged the coveted garments from the line. But if what you say is true, I suppose you must have them. The wanton wind had been so busily kissing them all morning that they were quite dry, and so I was able to find room for them in my knapsack without danger to the other contents. And with a hasty good day to the recent possessor, I set off at full speed to find a secure nook where I could throw myself down on the grass and let loose the absurd laughter that was dangerously bottled up within me. But even before I do that, it behooves me, if possible, to vindicate my sanity to the reader. End of chapter 15 Chapter 16 Clears up my mysterious behavior of the last chapter what a sane man should be doing, carrying about with him a woman's petticoat and silk stockings, may well be a puzzle to the most intelligent reader. Whim, sir, whim, and few human actions admit of more satisfactory solution. Like Shylock, I'll say, it was my humor. But no, I'll be more explanatory. This madcap quest of mine was it not understood between us from the very beginning to be a fantastic whim, a poetical wild-goose chase conceived entirely as an excuse for being some time in each other's company? To be whimsical, therefore, in pursuit of a whim fanciful in the chase of fancy, 
surely but to maintain the spirit of the game now for the purpose therefore of a romance that makes no pretence of reasonableness i had very good reasons for buying that petticoat which the reasons not the petticoat i will now lay before you i have been conscious all the way along through this pilgrimage of its inevitable vagueness of direction of my need of something definite some place some name anything at all however slight which i might associate if only for a time with the object of my quest a definite something to seek a definite goal for my feet now when i saw that mysterious petticoat and realized that its wearer would probably be pretty and young and generally charming and that probably her name was somewhere on the waistband the spirit of whim rejoiced with me why not it said buy the petticoat find out the name of its owner and instead of seeking a vague golden girl make up your mind doggedly to find and marry her or failing that carry the petticoat with you as a sort of cinderella slipper try it on any girl you happen to fancy and marry her if it exactly fits now i confess that seemed to me quite a pretty idea and i hope the reader will think so too if not i'm afraid i can offer him no better explanation and in fact i am all impatient to open my knapsack and inform myself of the name of her to the discovery of whom my wanderings are henceforth to be devoted end of chapter sixteen chapter seventeen the name upon the petticoat so imagine me seated in a grassy corner with my knapsack open on the ground and my petticoat and silk stockings spread out in front of me an odd picture to be sure for any passer-by to come upon i suppose i could have passed for a peddler but undoubtedly it would have been very embarrassing however as it happened i remained undisturbed and was able to examine my purchases at leisure i had never seen a petticoat so near before at all events i had never given one such close attention what delicious dainty things they are how essentially womanly as i hope no one would call a pair of trousers essentially manly how pretty it looked spread out upon the grass in front of me how soft how wondrously dainty the finish of every little seam and the lace it almost tempts one to change one's sex to wear such things there was a time indeed and not so long ago when brave men wore garments no less dainty rupert's cavaliers were every bit as particular about their lace collars and frills as the lady whose pretty limbs once warmed this cambric but where's the name ah here it is what sweet writing sylvia joy number six sylvia joy what a perfectly enchanting name and as i repeated it enthusiastically it seemed to have a certain familiarity for my ear as though it were the name of some famous beauty or some popular actress yet the exact association eluded me and obviously it was better it should remain a name of mystery sylvia joy who could have hoped for such a pretty name 
Indeed, to tell the truth, I had dreaded to find a Mary Jones or an Anne Williams. But Sylvia Joy, the name was a romance in itself. I already felt myself falling in love with its unseen owner. With such a petticoat and such a name, Sylvia herself could not be otherwise than delightful, too. Already, you see, I was calling her by her Christian name, and the more I thought of her, the stronger grew the conviction, which has no doubt already forced itself upon the romantic reader, that we were born for each other. But who is Sylvia? Who is she? And likewise, where is Sylvia? Where is she? Obviously, they were questions not to be answered offhand. Was not my future, at all events my immediate future, to be spent in answering them? Indeed, curiously enough, my recent haste to have them answered had suddenly died down. A sort of matrimonial security possessed me. I felt as I imagined a husband may feel on a solitary holiday, if there are husbands unnatural enough to go holidaying with other wives, pleasantly conscious of a home tucked somewhere beneath the distant sunset, yet in no precipitate hurry to return there before the appointed day. In fact, a chill tremor went through me as I realized that, to all intent, I was at length respectably settled down with quite a considerable retrospect of happy married life. To come to a decision is always to bring something to an end, and with something of a pang resolutely stifled, I realized for a moment the true blessedness of the single state I was so soon to leave behind. At all events, a little golden fragment of bachelorhood remained. There was as yet a fertile strip of time wherein to sow my last handful of the wild oats of youth. So festina lente, my destined Sylvia festina lente. End of chapter 17 End of section 4